Josh and Evan. You do a great job singing and gets me fired up to get up here and I'm just so thankful as uh, Rick mentioned it's uh, it's a special thing to want to be together uh, and I remember um, being away for a couple weeks a couple years ago and I just couldn't wait to get back and that says a lot about you uh, and, and your care and and the comfort that we feel together and the comfort that we hopefully get at this time together that helps us to uh, get ready for the week and to go out and be citizens of the kingdom, uh, to not lock it away, not be put under a bushel, but to go out and, and shine that light. Uh, even in our failures where we come up short, the willingness, a big part of Christianity is to confess our sins, right? And, and we've kind of made that more of a difficult thing than it really has to be. Uh, if we have access to the Father, as we're told in Scripture, uh, through the blood of Jesus, that we can go to Him at any time and confess and and convene with him and ask for his guidance uh, in this life. And certainly the Sermon on the Mount that we've been in, we'll be in Matthew chapter 7, is a big chunk of that. And it informs us uh, in a practical way to live as citizens of the kingdom and what the citizens do versus what uh, the outsiders choose to do. And I'm here to tell you today that uh, if you feel like an outsider, uh, I would say that most of that has to do with you, that you can... Uh, make the decision right where you're at. You don't have to wait till uh, I get done. You can just let us know. Just stop me in the middle of it. We'll go. We'll go do what we can. Right? Don't wait on me because um, I I can be a while. Uh, but we look for opportunities to serve. I hope that you will make plans to be a part of uh, some of our events or all of them. Uh, it is a great way to kind of get out there. I don't know that uh, our students know. Some I try to do as much as I can to inform them, but uh, they may not know who goes to church here and who doesn't and how it goes on Sundays. And I try to get those to kind of rub elbows as much as we can, and that's a tremendous opportunity. I hope that you're spreading the news in community, both events, especially uh, the one on March 22nd is open to everyone. It's free to come. Uh, there is an Eventbrite that you can sign up at just so we know how much food we need. And uh, Washington Street is graciously... Um, let us know that they would love to help us provide lunch that day on Saturday. So that's an exciting thing. I think of the school and the church uh, and the way that it overlaps. And I, I love the way uh, that it is put together, the wisdom that went into that. Uh, but it's also important for us to continue to grow our church uh, so that that will continue um, and that we have that future. It's always great to see these kiddos here and and uh, they grow in wisdom and stature with the Lord. And mine certainly have been blessed to know all of you and to feel your love. And uh, we certainly need to keep those things in mind. So I hope that at the very least, and really the most powerful thing you can do, you're praying for the success of those events as we invite people into the school building. And obviously that has a, a natural uh, bringing about information and people want to know more about the school, which leads to maybe some tours and things of that nature. So it's a it's a double way. Obviously, we do all of it so that people would be brought closer into a relationship with Jesus. It's really what we're here for. Uh, and so as we kind of get into Matthew chapter 7 again, uh, Jesus is comparing, right? He's comparing the world. He's delivering. We call it a sermon on the mount. And there is comparison there. And I've said for weeks now, you know, Matthew 7 verse 1 is one of the favorite verses of the world, right? Judge not lest you be judged. And it's been used for, I'm sure, centuries to get Christians just to leave me alone with that truth, stop judging me, stop bringing that into my life. And, and I'll be honest, it's worked on me before. And that's not what Jesus 
is speaking of. In fact, there is a ton of comparison in the Sermon on the Mount. It's basically the basis of it. Like, here's how the world works. Here's how the citizens of the kingdom of God are supposed to be. And he points out where the religious elite have gotten it wrong. And he points out where the Romans have gotten it wrong. And the pig-eating Gentiles have gotten it wrong. And this is what it's supposed to look like, right? And where the Jews have gotten it wrong. Especially in the book of Matthew, written to the Jewish population, uh, attempting through the power of the Holy Spirit to convince Jewish people that this is the Jesus, this is the Messiah that you've been praying for and what we will use in this sermon, asking for. Uh, but the thing is, is a lot of times when we ask God for things, we have a way in which it's supposed to look in our minds. And God oftentimes, you might even say most of the times, does not play by our rules, right? And then the way we would like things to happen. And so I say that, but I also say that to help you understand, be careful what you ask for, right? And the Bible tells us, commands us to, to ask for wisdom. And I certainly grew up growing up, knew the Solomon story, and I asked for wisdom, and I prayed for wisdom. Uh, but it's also important to understand that wisdom oftentimes comes through experience and not always the way in which you'd like to experience things. So as we get into chapter 7 and verse 7, we'll back up to verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. It is a continually evolving thing in my life and my personal experience of priorities. What are values are valuable to you? And, and we can gather here on Sundays and we sing songs and we read scriptures and it's really easy in this context to put Jesus in the number one priority. And I think part of uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper is that evaluating of my priorities. Like what have I done this week, looking back on the past, that is in line with the kingdom of God as being a citizen? in line with the Holy Spirit, in line with Scripture, and what has not, and how can I, by remembering what Jesus has done in response to being saved, do better this week? And, and the answer is always leaning more into God, leaning more into the Holy Spirit, leaning more into Jesus and, and the Word of God. And, and so that's a place to start. The answer is always pray more. We can always pray more. And so we look at this text you know, what are we what are we really throwing away? The older I get, the value of time. I can't even put a value on it. It's priceless, right? The the time that I put in with who I put my time in with. As Rick mentioned, it seems like even when maybe I don't want to be here, I get here and I force myself to get here and I leave here going, Man, I'm glad I went. Like I, I knew, I knew that's where I needed to be. And there are sometimes things that we can't help, we can't avoid, but we need to be together. Scripture spends a lot of time on being together, to fellowship with one another. And, and not a begrudging, but a desire to be together. Now, some of that comes from forcing yourself to go. Sometimes we force ourselves to do things. And like I said, we, we leave going, and it was good that I was there. I'm glad that I overcame the desire maybe to not go and to be together. And so time what we spend our money on, who we spend our time with, and ultimately our soul. And it really does go a long way in determining the destination of our eternal soul, our salvation, that body, that resurrection that we have in Jesus. Ask 
verse 7, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And I want you to think about uh, our study in the Psalms uh, maybe a couple of years ago where the desire of Israel, the desire of David, the desire of these songs and much of the Old Testament was what? That the Messiah would come, that we they'd be returned to their promised land, right? And even before entering the promised land, like when they were in slavery, they cried out to God, they asked, they begged, they wanted deliverance. And when the deliverance came, it wasn't quite what they were thinking it would be. And you know what? Things don't change. And I'd be willing to guess that most of them didn't foresee the Messiah being from Nazareth. In fact, we get that expressed in, in Scripture. That the son of a carpenter, even the, the people are, this is Joseph's son. Like, he can't be who he claims to be. Surely not. And Jesus says he puts a value on asking. He puts a value on seeking. Who are we asking? Who are we seeking? Who are we entrusting to do it the best way that it needs to be done? And a lot of that involves being still. And I'll be honest with you, not a strong suit of mine, right? I'd much rather be doing things. And a lot of times I I try, and recently I've tried to evaluate, like, why am I doing all the things? Is it so that I don't have any time to reflect on all the things I probably should be thinking about? Or is it really in an effort to bring people to the kingdom of God, to to be what Jesus has called me to be. And those are all things that we have to evaluate, right? Maybe part of the the Lord's Supper. Like, what is the purpose of this? What is the goal of this? And every time in my life where I've stopped and I've aligned my priorities with God, like, it works out the best that it could be. I remember being uh, in the dating world and, and thinking, Oh, I know what I want, right? And there were people who, who knew what parts of Travis that they liked, right? Some were the, the youth men. Oh, I love that he's a youth minister. So, oh, I love that he plays music. Oh, I love this part and this part. And, and when the other parts of me like came in, it was like, well, I don't know about that part, right? But I knew what I wanted. I knew what I was looking for, and I was going to go get it. And at some point in my 20s, I said, you know what? I, I'm just tired of doing this. Like, this is old. Uh, you know what, Lord? I'm just going to trust you. And lo and behold, right? It's amazing that we know, we have the head knowledge. We're we're told, we've spent time in Scripture that, hey, God knows best. But how often do we have to do it the hard way first? How much of my mom's life has been spent trying to spare me the hard way, the difficult way? How much of my life is spent trying to steer my own kids away from the, the hard way of doing it? And sometimes we just have to experience it on our own. And there's that wisdom again, right? But are we asking with expectation? Right? I expect this to happen, but I'm not putting an added expectation on how it should happen. Right? I got a piece of paper on my wall in my classroom that I look at very often, and I'm reminded of that 20-year-old that got that piece of paper and how he thought He had a system for everything. If we just do it my way, if we do this youth ministry thing my way, we'll have success. Things will go well. But now I ask the question, Jesus, what does victory look like for you 
in this because that's really what victory looks like to me. Now, it takes me a while to get around to that thinking sometimes. But what's the goal here? Am I, am I kicking against the goads? <laughs> am, I, am I fighting you at every turn because I've got a certain way this has to look for it to be successful in my eyes? Or maybe even I'm concerned with successful in other people's eyes. There's a set of people out there that I'm like, oh, I need their attaboy and their pat on the back or it's not successful. I've said it many times, you know, if this school, if one person gives their life to Jesus because of the works of the school, then it was worth all the headaches. And y'all may be like, well, Travis, you weren't there for all the headaches. You're right. But is that not the goal? Is that not the purpose? Because if not, if it's just to be a secular factory, we got those, right? They're everywhere, right? They're, they're every, we got those. We, we can get that. I, I, I was produced by one, and, and I had some great teachers who loved Jesus, and their hands were tied a good bit, right? And they were great examples. They taught me values by how they lived. But ultimately, at the best, it's a complete, secular, sterile thing that I got, right? At best, I don't know that we have that anymore, but that's for debate. But what we want is this all-around person who's experienced things, who has a wisdom to trust in God's outcome. And what's that going to look like? You know, we, we do things and we get in, whether it's church or education or a job or whatever it is, and we get stuck in these ruts sometimes, and we go, well, that's just the way we've always done it. Well, scripturally, is that how we have to do it? Because that's a question we should be asking. You know, what, what is the outcome? What is the goal? With the, the goal in mind, Whitney's been doing uh, the, the portrait of a graduate where we, we have all these things that we want our students to be good at. Obviously, Christ-like is number one. And, and we want to get this portrait of what we're shooting for so that everything we do every single day is about that and is informed by this portrait of a graduate that is Christ-like. And, and, can, and there's these steps, and they're, they're actually in this room on the, on the poles there, right? And that's what we want to show up and produce, the product, right? What are we doing? Is it, are we asking for God's wisdom in all of that? I've set some of those through those, some of those prayers, some of that strategic, some of those meetings, and there's a lot of time being spent on doing that, but if if we spend a lot of time and we meet and we have committees and, and, and we, we don't really go about it every single day, what are we doing? Right. Well, that's the kingdom work right here. This is what Jesus is talking about. Like, here's the practical things that we can do every single day. And they did because what? We're here today, right? That, that we're here today because people heard this sermon on the mount. Jesus died on the cross, resurrected. We're indwelled with the Holy, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells us. And we're here thousands of years later because people heard this sermon and went, that's different. Like, it sounds impossible. Right? My righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the scribes. That sounds impossible. And maybe the answer is, yes, that's impossible with you. But with man, with God, all things are possible. So when we ask and we seek, are we asking with the expectation that God will answer and that really we're hopeful that God will answer in His way because it's better than mine. It's higher than mine, right? I don't understand that. But we don't limit God. We don't limit God. 
That's one of the biggest mistakes we make is we limit God. I've said it before, right? Like I know what people mean when they say prayer's not allowed in schools or God's not allowed in schools. But what are we saying? Like, what are we telling people when we say that? Like there's not a box big enough. There's not a lot big enough, right? I get what people are saying, but the message and how we're saying it is defeatist, like, right? And then, of course, I always make the joke. Like as long as there's math tests in school, there'll be a prayer. Right? When I took a test in math, I was praying. I was praying for a miracle, right? And I wanted it in spite of my lack of preparation. And so there's this aspect of ask, seek, knock, but remember whose door you're knocking on and what he's able to do. And don't put your unhealthy expectations on God and, most importantly, limitations on God. God can do whatever he wants to do, when he wants to do it, unless he tells us he's not going to do that thing. He's God. And I'm more and more thankful every day that he is and not me. I don't want that responsibility. And so Jesus shows up and goes, here's the things, right? He adds on. We see the Lord's Prayer in the previous chapter. And Jesus brings this reminder of whose door are you knocking on? Who are you asking? Who do you go to first? With everything. Because you know what? That reveals your priorities. Right? That reveals your priorities. I'm, uh, you know, Whitney wants me to share information with her. But I think she's okay if I start with God first. That's what's so awesome about her. Right? And so we want to we start with and knock on the door of the person who can do it. Who can do it all. He talks about this comparison, or what a man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Once again, seeking, knocking, asking, who defines good in your life? There are a lot of people out there that I love to compare myself to because it is a favorable comparison. You know, there's people in history who've killed millions of people. Like, compared to Stalin, I'm, I'm awesome, right? Like, that's a great comparison for me. It works out for me in the end because I look good in comparison, right? And I, if it comes to basketball skill, I don't want to be compared to LeBron. That's not a favorable comparison, Jesus says you got to trust in who defines what is good, right? Isn't that really what everything comes down to? I either buy into what God says is good. It is not good for man to be alone. And I think about that. We think within the context of marriage and, and that type of relationship. But people who, oh, well, I can have my Jesus and not have the church. I mean, come on. It's not good for you to be alone. I mean, it works. It's not good for you to be alone. Have I had people at church say things to me that hurt my feelings? Oh, yeah. Sometimes it was warranted. Sometimes it wasn't, or at least I didn't think it did. But do we take the truth, their willingness to share with us? Do we allow that to keep us from having relationship at all? Right? God says that marriage is between a man and a woman for life. That sexual relationship is, between, is for that. That is good. Does it mean that if you live and you choose, make that choice that everything's going to be easy street and you're never going to have any problems, right? Anybody in here is married. It's like, no, that's not what that means. But it's what's good. 
And I buy into that. I trust that. I know when I go to God, what He thinks is good. There's a level basis of expectation I expect from Him. He's going to tell me what is good. He's not going to have me run off with somebody else's spouse. Right? That's not ever coming from the Lord. And so there's this basic level of what is good. He says, if you being evil want to give good to your children, what does a good God want to give to his kids? Now we know the answer now because we've had this text for thousands of years. He gives us the good and perfect gift. Every single one of them, starting with Jesus, his word. It's not burdensome. The Israelites received a tremendous gift in the wilderness. The Ten Commandments. The direction of God. That he will say in just a moment, in verse 12, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to be treated, for this is the law and the prophets. How many of the laws in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, have to do with treating your fellow man the way you want to be treated? And when something does happen that's bad, helping them feel and get justice. Justice, that's really kind of what it is. It's like, this is what, we, what needs to happen to make this right in the time being until God shows up and makes all things right. And so he says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto people. Oh, I've heard it, right? I've read in history. But, oh, that's kind of a ripoff of Confucius, right? Confucius said, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. They're completely completely different ideas, right? Confucius, you just lock yourself in a closet, done. Right? I never interact with people, done. I'm never going to do anything bad to them if I lock myself in a closet other than withhold yourself from them, right? If I do that to my kids, I'm, I'm not doing very good things to them. But Jesus comes and he turns it on. No, you need to be actively doing the good, the good thing. Once again, how do we know what the good thing is? We turn to God. There's a reason why Jesus goes, the law and the prophets hinge on these things, on this right here. The whole purpose in mind is to treat people how you want to be treated. To shine a light in their darkness. How many stories are there out there where someone was on their last leg, their last string, their last nerve, their last thing, and one person treated them kindly? And it kept them from making a decision that would remove all other decisions from the equation. Simply put, think about all the lives that Jesus touched. Even the times where he said the thing that was necessary to be said that didn't really feel great. Even to the Pharisees. Even to the Pharisees. And he somewhat treated them the way they treated everyone else. The whole law and prophets. Verse 13, we wrap up our time the next two verses. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. We'll go ahead and read verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. It's important to understand that it is narrow. I think the invitation is... Is to everyone, right? Jesus died for everyone to have an opportunity, but opportunity is the key word. And what we do with that opportunity, we pounce on it. We, we seek it out. We thirst for it. We hunger for it. We seek out the narrow way with every bit of our being. 
And Jesus is telling us, if you knock, you seek, you ask, it can be found. But a large portion of people are going to go the broad way because it's the default, really. It's default. It's the flesh. It's the thing that we see and go, oh, that's the, that's the easy, it's the comfortable way. It, it, just to go with the flow, you might say, right? If, if your friends all jump off the bridge, you're going to jump with them, right? And there's way too many of us, myself included, I've probably been like, oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, they did it. Surely it's okay. And there'll be a lot of people lost for eternity because everyone else was doing it. Everyone else is doing it. As a parent, I now see why that question holds so much weight. And I understand now as a kid I, I, that they didn't really, right? It's narrow. What are you doing today, right? Like, there are a lot of people out there that, that are seeking truth in their life. They're seeking the good in their life. They're seeking, but they don't even know why that desire is in them. Right? I mean, I go, there's all kinds of questions with evolution and coming from an amoeba and all that stuff, but it's the emotional questions I always have. Like, why do we desire to seek out anything? Where does that come from? Is that something we, we evolve? I mean, I don't see how that would work and especially promote survival of me if it comes down to me surviving. But it's narrow. There's a desire within all of us at some point to excel, right? Now, it may be deeper than some of us like to admit. And there's some of us that have spent our entire life holding that down. And there are different definitions of excelling, right? Depending on what area of life you're in. But we know that victory in the Bible, spiritually, eternally, victory is in Jesus and nowhere else. Nowhere else. And so we must be convicted and confronted with the question that Jesus, as, as people leave Jesus and he turns to disciples and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter, in one of his shining moments, right? <laughs> I guess we could call it that. He says, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You see, we've all answered that question. Incorrectly at times. Well, I'm, I'm going to go to this preacher. I'm going to go to this person or that person. And Peter's making the statement. He's claiming for everybody to hear and for all of us to read for eternity. You and you only, right? He's qualifying. <laughs> he, he's narrow road. You and you only have the words of eternal life. It's not me. I don't possess them. I don't hold them. I don't want to hold anybody away from them. I don't want to be an extra obstacle to you to, to find that narrow path. I want to promote that, right? I come to work every day, and that's the goal. I don't do it very well every day. I fall short every day at some point, right? I'm lazy. I got a lazy streak a mile long, and it takes everything in my power to, to stay and keep refocusing, and that's the beauty of the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is what convicts people and so this morning, wherever you're at, if, if you're a Christian and you've heard some truth today, you've got to decide, what am I going to do with that truth? What am I going to do with that? Am I going to let that take hold? Am I going to let it grow? Am I going to trust in Jesus in that more? If you're not a Christian and you've heard truth today, it's a narrow way. Have you done all the things that you can do? Right? And, and it's really simple. Depending on what day it is, it may not be easy, but it's simple. It's trusting Jesus more. 
And so in that aspect, we all kind of are in the same boat. Every one of us could trust Jesus more today than we did yesterday. That's called sanctification. If you're not a Christian, we would love to be a part. We look at it as an opportunity, a blessing to help you start that path. We'd love to talk to you about it. We'd love to hug you through it. Uh, if you are a Christian, you're struggling, let us know. Right? I'm not a mind reader. I, I'm not good at that. Right? I, I'm around Whitney a lot, and I can't read her mind. And if I can't read her mind, I, I'm not reading yours. Okay? I'll just go ahead and be honest with you. And there are things in this one I don't want to read. But if we can help you, the, the, the leadership at this church many years ago decided that we would have share time at the end of time of our gatherings, and that's an opportunity. I want you to think of it that way. If not before... Think of it that way today, an opportunity to share with the family here how we could better serve you and be a part of the kingdom of God by blessing you in that struggle. Uh, this morning, if you have a need, we also sing this psalm of encouragement to encourage you wherever you're at to draw closer to the Lord. If there's something that we can do and we need to discuss that, we give you that opportunity. You, you can come down as we sing. You can sit in one of these front chairs or you can just grab one of us after the service and we'd love to serve you if we can. Uh, we want to give you that opportunity as we now stand and sing. Good morning. We're in Matthew chapter 7 and our time in God's Word uh, this morning. And I'm just uh, so thankful, um, I've said before, of our song leaders, those who uh, participate uh, in worship and, and service in that capacity. And I think it's very important that we remember that that's exactly what that is. It's really a service. Um, I know that there are many congregations that I've visited um, that would, uh, would, would give a lot to have the song leaders that we have and the, the men who are uh, willing to lead and serve and to uh, be an example to those of us. And I'm so thankful to be in a congregation where I am challenged uh, a lot to be uh, the person I'm supposed to be. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked in places where that's all I was, was an employee. And so when things didn't go right, I got a nice list of all the demands that I had to get right in this amount of time, or I might need to be finding somewhere else to, to work. And I'm thankful for have, have worked at two congregations that I'm a member of the church, and they know that I'm learning and coming along and in my journey and my process as much as anyone. And so... I'm so thankful to find leadership like that uh, where, where I'm not really any different. I'm not. Uh, I have struggles, and I uh, just have a lot of hot air to share, too. And hopefully there's, there's God's Word in there. That's what I want it to be uh, as we kind of learn together. I know I'm doing a lot of the talking when I'm up here, and so you may be like, well, are we really together in this? I hope so. Uh, I hope there are things that are mentioned that challenge you spiritually to help you grow in your journey uh, and I think a lot of that starts if, if we look in Matthew chapter 7. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a level of discernment. Uh, this, this verse, chapter 7 and verse 1 of Matthew, um, you know, I hear John three sixteen a lot. But when I was growing up, I really got the feeling from the world that this actually was their favorite verse, right? Because any time that you would bring any kind of correction or, or decision or, hey, this isn't the best choice... I heard Matthew 7, verse 1, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. And so I think for a, a, a large portion of my life growing up, maybe it's just my experience, that there was John three sixteen, and then there was Matthew 7, 1. And they probably couldn't even tell you where it was in the Bible. They just knew that it said in there, rightfully so, judge not, 
lest you be judged. And I think it's interesting when we go back and think about the other, ver- uh, other lessons from the Sermon on the Mount, that there is always a comparison, which is interesting, right? If, if you take that in context of Matthew 7, 1. Because usually when people quote, I won't say usually, I don't know everybody's heart, but when I heard it, my experience was, leave me alone, you have no right to tell me what is right or wrong, and you can't force me to be uncomfortable in my decision making. That's, that's kind of how that came along. Well, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is comparing different groups, generally speaking. You know, last week we talked about the anxiousness, and he, he mentions the Gentiles. The Gentiles worry and are concerned with these things, and what is the inference? You, being a member of the kingdom of God, should not act like that. Right? Well, that thought continues. And so by the world's idea of judgment... And they, they equate judgment with condemnation. I think there's a nuance here that we'll get to. By their own statement and how they use this verse, they throw out the entire rest of the Sermon on the Mount because what is Jesus doing? This is the way the world acts. This is the way these groups of people act. These are how some of the groups of people look at the Bible and interpret it, or the Old Testament. Don't be like that. The kingdom of God is different. And so let's back up to chapter 6 and verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then that flows into verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. So in the context of what he just said, don't make the chapter break. I know there's one there that we have inserted uh, over time throughout history. But you need to have that one complete thought, right? Like, What's he talk? How do you spend the 24 hour period that God has given you today? And it's really this idea of policing. I want you to think about everything you've ever heard about the Pharisees when you read chapter 7 and verse 1. I know that the chosen takes uh, some liberties there, but if you watch that, what happens every time a, either a Roman official or a Pharisee shows up? Are people happy to see them? Are they overjoyed that these people are among them? No. The anxiety level of everyone around them goes up. Because most of them are here to do one of two things. Right? Police me in some sort. The, the, the Romans are going to oppress me according to their rules. And the Pharisees are going to oppress me according to how they interpret God's law. And so I think that there's an aspect that Jesus is saying here is like when you show up to a place, this is not the reaction that people should have. They should rejoice in the fact that you are there, although be a little uncomfortable. I don't know, the Mays may remember a guy by the name of Wes Howell at Free Hardman University. I remember Wes was a couple years older than me. I was 18 years old and I was a big, bad 18-year-old. And, uh, you know, I thought I was fairly Christian. And I remember showing up to Freed Hardin University, and I immediately didn't like that guy because he was a loving individual. He was joyful. He was happy to see everyone. I'm fairly certain he hugged me the first time I met him, which was enough to me to go, I don't know that I like this very much, right? This is not what men do. They don't hug each other. They don't share their emotions. They don't express their love and happiness in seeing you. And so there was an aspect of him that made us uncomfortable. But it wasn't the fact that he was looking at us and judging us and 
We were comparing ourselves to him. Right? That was what was uncomfortable. It wasn't his fault. It was the way he carried himself and the way he treated people and the way you just felt like the most important person in the room when you walked in. And so it was by that we were comparing ourselves and therefore uncomfortable. And for a while, I despised that guy. Right? Because guess who else wants to be around a guy like that? All of the ladies. Right? And that's what I was more interested in at the time. Versus people, right, that you know they come and they're looking for a reason to have nothing to do with you or to set themselves up in the seat of Moses, as Jesus would quote later at the Pharisees. And so there's the comparison. It's not saying that we don't ever make choices. It's a difference between condemning you eternally based on how I interpret the Scriptures versus discernment of I'm not going to do those things. Because that's not what is becoming of a Christian. And sometimes there's, well, I'd say a lot of times, there's a ton of liberty involved. Right? Where, where I'm not looking for a reason to, man, if, it wouldn't take long. Right? If we really came to church, and there are people who do it every week. They come to church and they look for a reason to not have anything to do with those people. And guess what they find? A litany of reasons. A litany of reasons. It's always been easier to show up and go, well, that church doesn't do that, and that church doesn't do that. The tough question is, is am I doing those things? It's the same thing with society. Well, society is fill in the blank. Well, who is an active member of society? This guy, right? So generally, we can make statements. That's what makes memes fun, is they are generally true. That's what stand-up comedians do. They, they poke fun and we laugh because things are generally true. But we live in a day and age where everybody wants to point out all the nuance. Like, well, that's not always true. Well, yes, that's what we assume when it's a meme. We all assume, well, that's not true in every occasion. But a litany of people have to point out those, right? That's not true in my case. Well, it's generally the idea. And so... We can tell how we're doing on Matthew 7 and verse 1 generally by how people see us and how they react to us when we're in the room. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, Miss Bears, every once in a while, will introduce me as her preacher, right? And, and that's okay, and that's fine because it's true, technically. Uh, but if it's somebody I don't know, you know what they immediately do? They change their behavior, right? Like versus this is just Travis, Right? Uh, or, or he teaches here, or he's a teacher, people just change, right? And, and that's the only drawback to that being announced, right? I'm proud that I get to, to teach from God's Word. That's awesome. That's something that I obviously enjoy. Hopefully you get something out of it too. But people change, and, and there's just nothing we can do about that, right? It's just the way it is, unless I keep that facade going. Right? I, don't, I try not to let that affect me and me change my behavior when they introduce me as the preacher. Right? Because I want people to generally be comfortable. But there's also a little intimidation factor there, right? And to some degree, there might should be. But not because I'm looking for a reason to call people in on the carpet or shed the light on what they're doing wrong. It's because I'm living like Jesus, and I think there's an aspect to that. What Jesus is talking here is like your precious time. I mean, think about the things, especially... You folks that are, that are older and you have more wisdom than me, what are the things that are more, most valuable to you? And how has that changed? I want you to think about that for a second. 
When you, when you were in your 20s, and I was in my 20s, what was of major value and things that I concerned myself with, you know, hopefully I would say my soul. I don't know that my actions showed that. I would say the older I get, the more it is spiritual things, soul things, and time. Right? Time. I think Jesus expresses this in verse 2, For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. I think that actually verse 2 is a little more terrifying than verse 1 to me. Right? Because I have a huge high standard for all y'all. Right? And if you mistreat me, I'm going to remember that for a long time. And that's not saying I'm going to be gullible, right? There are things that we remember. There are things that we, we in our wisdom, well, I'm just not going to do that again. You know, I love you and I, I forgive you, but I'm not going to trust you to do those things, right? There's an aspect of wisdom there. But I think we can all admit I hold the other people to a much higher standard than myself because I can justify anything I'm doing. Why? Because I know... Somewhere deep down, why I'm doing it. And sometimes those things are justifiable. When we realize, this morning in Bible class, we talked about the importance of fellowship. I think fellowship is so important because when you start rubbing elbows with people and you start spending time with people, their stories come out. And you start going, oh man, I didn't know that you also suffered through something like that. Like, you don't carry yourself that way. And I had a completely different thought of who you were. Like the guy that does skits with the truth with us, Michael Rosenblum, I just thought he was the coolest guy in the world. And I never thought he is as hilarious as he is, right? He's a good-looking guy, right? He's of Rosenblum Realty. So, and he's, they were smart business people. And he carried himself very differently until I got to know the guy and it was like, this dude is hilarious. He's one of the funniest people I know, and I'm a little jealous of that. right? And he's caring and compassionate, and he, he does all of these service things that nobody knows about until you get like really close to him, and you almost force him to admit it. right? It's this fellowship aspect, and what Jesus, I think, is speaking to is like, there's going to be little room for that. In fact... You shouldn't be looking for reasons because guess what? Tomorrow has all the trouble it needs. And the things that are going to need to be taken care of will need to be taken care of. You know what you'll never hear from people if you're always looking to police the situation? The actual problem. They're never going to come to you. They know what you think already. Right? For the most part, I go to Bible class on Sunday morning and I shut up. I don't say nothing. I just sit over there. I really try to do that. And it's not easy, Blake. It's not easy for me, right? Because I want to I jump in the conversation. But you guys get to hear me all the time. Right? I get 25 minutes every Sunday, usually around 28, to say what I want to say. And these poor students that come to me every day, they get to hear what I want to say every day, whether they want to or not. And so I'm really working on that muscle of just being quiet and listening to people, Right? I'll pray for Whitney. She's worked real hard to get me to that point. And it's a struggle. Because, you know, if you're not listening, if you're not really trying to seek out and help people grow spiritually, you know, there's, there's a void there. And sometimes, speaking from experience, I feel that with my own perspective on who you are. 
And how could I possibly be informed of that if we never fellowship? If I never get to know you, I never hear your story and what you've been through. Man, then it starts like it starts adding color to the page. You start going, oh, I, now I'm surrounded by people who've experienced similar things to me that I can now go to almost selfishly and go, how did you do that? Like, I want your input into my life. How did you come out the other end? Like, where did you blow it? And where did you find success? And you know who hates that? Satan. He hates that. He would much rather us continue in our little sex in our tribes and find reasons to have nothing to do with that. And there are other people, nefarious people in our world who would love that. They love tribalism. They want us to get down to the very minute to where it's almost just us. They would love that if it was just me, the individual. Because if we go around the room, we could come up with ways we disagree with each other. We could find reasons not to associate with one another. I think Jesus is speaking to the idea that that is not the kingdom way. It's not the kingdom way. As we studied on Sunday night or Wednesday nights, we studied the book of Ephesians. And many times the guy would mention fellowship meals in the first century. And how someone who was outside of the kingdom, outside of the community, would come into a Christian fellowship meal and they would immediately have to make a decision on whether they were going to stay or not. Because it was uncomfortable with the masters serving the slaves and pouring them drinks and fixing their food and sitting at the same table with them and Gentiles and Jews sitting together. And they would meet. There would have not even had to been a, a sermon preached for them to be uncomfortable with what they saw. And they would ultimately have to make the decision on, am I a Jesus person? Is this something I want to be a part of? And very often they were so intrigued with the level of fellowship and the level of forgiveness and the level of, of don't care about social ills that they would say just to see the circus <laughs> that might ensue. And it would intrigue them. What's different about these people? And simply put, it was they came together with hands opened and hearts willing to see people the way Jesus saw them. And it wasn't, oh, you're a Sadducee, you're a Pharisee, you're not even Jewish. I can't even walk on the same side of the street with you. It was the opposite. I've seen the story circulated many times. I can't remember all the details. But it's this one African-American fellow who decided... He wasn't going to let uh, the Ku Klux Klan keep him from loving them. And he goes in and he starts associating and serving and loving on them and basically converts them out of that belief because of the way he lived his life and treated them. And it's like, there may not be a greater example of how we're supposed to be. Now we can look to tons of examples in the first century where people died in an effort to serve people in that way, obviously Jesus being the first and foremost. But the measure that you judge people, you will be judged. I hear people say, oh, only God can judge me. And my response to that is, he's the last one I want to judge. You guys judge me all you want to, right? It might hurt my feelings. It has hurt my feelings in the past. Please go ahead. Because your judgment lasts about that long in comparison to God's. Like the last thing I want God doing is judging me, ultimately condemning. I think that's what Jesus is really speaking to. You don't have the ability to condemn anyone. That's not your role, and you should know that. 
And the longer I live, the happier I am about that role. Like, that's not my business. Discernment, that's my role. Should I, as an individual, be participating in that? No. And how can I impact and help people to make the same decision that Jesus would make? Not the same decision Travis would make, the same one that Jesus would make. And so once you start looking at that, those lists actually, when you think about it, start getting shorter. Because Jesus brought liberty, right? We've created a lot of lists, right? And some of those, they're based on good reasoning, but we very rarely share that reasoning. Right? We just show up, and that's the way we've always done it. That's the way Grandpa and Grandma did it. It must be all right, and maybe it is. But we start enforcing them like they are the law, then we are becoming like the very people he said in Sermon on Mount, going, Pharisees do that. That's not what we're about. Right? I've come to fulfill the law. Right? Your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Okay, so in that verse, you should get a chuckle, right? The point is this absurd image of someone with this ginormous log in their eye looking at you and going, let me get close. I can't even get close enough to pick this one thing out of your eye because the log is so big and I'm going to smack you in the head when I turn to look at you. Right? So it's this comparison game that we oftentimes play. I love comparing myself to the worst people in history. Well, you know, I'm not Joseph Stalin, so I must be a pretty good guy. Well, yeah. The difficulty comes in when, as a Christian, I realize my comparison is to Jesus. That's who I'm chasing. And I'm never going to be good in comparison, right? And so there's enough trouble today in trying myself, chasing Jesus, chasing perfection, chasing Him so that I'll land at excellence. Because I can't be perfect. There's enough today for the next however long that that'll keep me busy. And then tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to recommit myself, Lord. I'm going to chase Jesus. I want to look more like Him today than I did yesterday. And there will be times and there will be events that will come into your life where you will have to discern and you will have to make a judgment call. Am I going to do this or am I going to do that? And there is nothing wrong with that. It's going out with the intention of creating as many of those as you possibly can. There's the issue. There's the issue. And in a day and age where we are inundated with knowledge, the internet exists. I remember my stepdad used to watch CNN on loop all of the time. And I just remember being a teenager, just an ignorant old teenager, and going, I don't know how he does it. Because 15 minutes of this sends me into a dark place. I'm not saying don't be educated on what's going on. I Far be it. But constant barragement cannot, whether it's Fox or CNN or whoever, WHNT, not good for you. Not good for you. Right? Being like Jesus today is enough. And there will be times where I have to make tough decisions in the image of Jesus. Don't go looking for more than you're supposed to handle. Because it will come.
right? It will come. There are a lot of things that I probably should make my business. And if I fail and I don't make those things my business, I should have. I'd rather be on that end of the spectrum than, oh, I made all this my business and it really wasn't. It really wasn't my call to do those things. One night, <laughs> I'm scrolling Facebook, which is probably an issue of its own. And I stumble across a congregation and the guy's teaching class. And he does everything but mention my name. He's talking about me. And he is letting me have it. I can't believe I stumbled upon it. I don't know. Maybe the Lord needed me to be humble. But, I mean, he's talking about the old campus minister at Riverside Christian Academy. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, man, this guy knows me better than I know myself. I don't even remember saying any of that or doing any of that. But he had it, buddy, down to the letter. And it hurt me. It hurt my feelings. Hurt me. I went to the shepherds here and said, hey, what do I need to do about this? And basically it was... Well, if you can get past it and forgive the guy, that's probably the best choice. That's what I did, right? That's his business. That's his business. I think somebody let him know that he was wrong. One of my classes, one of my students here, who actually is a, goes to the Baptist church, uh, informed him, I believe, that, hey, you got some things mixed up. But I could have let that eat me up inside and kill my soul. And there was a time in my life where it absolutely would have. Because there's somebody out there that doesn't like me. And I just can't handle that. <laughs> and now it's like I read scripture and I go, hey, if you're doing anything good, somebody's going to have something to say about it. Somebody. And not always going to be great. But who are you trusting? That's the Sermon on the Mount. Who do you trust when things like this happen? Even when you're wrong, right? Even when it's confronted to me that I'm wrong and my first response is, oh yeah, well let's go at it. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to lean into him. Lord, forgive me where I'm wrong. I get things wrong all the time. All the time. And you don't keep that list anymore because of my relationship with Jesus. And I want to lean into that. Why? Verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine. Or they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Going back to that story, right? Like, I could have given him more license in my life than he ever should have had. And we do that, right? And there are people that will hurt you, that you love with everything you've got. You've done everything in your power to love them like Jesus would. And they're just going to turn that knife even harder. And it's so difficult for me... To not hit back, right? With everything I've got. And Jesus says, actually, you, you do have the offensive. It's the loving thing to do. You love them till it hurts, and then you love them even more. And that's not being gullible. That's not trusting them to, to not stab you. It's almost, what does Jesus do? He came knowing that we wouldn't be able to handle the things he was going to do, and that we were going to put him on that cross. He came anyways. He knows today I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to say something. I'm going to think something that's not of him. And all he says is, turn to me. Give it to me. Well, that was a crazy, wild, violent thought that I just had. I know that's not of you, Lord. Would you take that? Can I lay that at your throne today? And I entrust that you're going to handle that and help me work through that? Or, man, I really botched it there. Jesus, I, know, I knew that was a possibility. That's why you need me so much. 
So today, maybe you're sitting there and you think, man, I have wasted a lot of my time concerned about things that might not ever happen. Or maybe I've wasted a lot of my time concerned about things that I absolutely 100% did. But I turned to God and I gave it to Him and Lord, just help me to move on. Help me to lay that down. Maybe that's your prayer today. Or maybe you're in the midst of botching it. Man, I just, this week, right? There was a time this week I went to Whitney. I said, hey, I know every thought that I'm having is the wrong one. I know this is wrong, and I know tomorrow when I get up, I'll feel better about it, but I need you to just let me say it. And it was amazing, because as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, you're right, that was dumb. Like, that has, that thought is just pure ignorance. You knew it, but you had to say it. You know what God loves? We take Him that stuff. Hey, God, I... Man, I know this isn't of you, but i got to say it to somebody. Well, say it to me. I knew you could say things like that and do dumb things like that, and I came anyways. Turn to me. Lean into Him today. So if you're like control, like I have to have control. There's some people in here like that. The older I get, the more I'm like, man, the less responsibility, the better. Woo! Man, that's great. I don't want any control. Right? I don't want any of that to the point that it's probably a fault. Like, I should probably be taking more responsibility. Or maybe you're one of those people who are like, I have to control everything that happens. And if it doesn't, it causes me, you have a lot of stress. Give it to him today. Today. Right? Today. Give it to him today. And then get up tomorrow, give it to him again. And all of a sudden you get in this, this habit of, you know, I'm just going to turn it over to him. I'm going to turn it over to him. So wherever you're at today, whether you need to say something during share time, which is our tradition, please share because we would love to come alongside you. Or maybe it's just something that maybe you, you want to do where you're at. If you're a Christian, you, you have that right to do it right now. Don't wait a second longer. You, you have that avenue to him that I don't impede. Don't give me that. Like you, you got that. If you're not a Christian this morning, then you don't have that type of relationship and the awesome thing is, is the only thing standing in the way of you having that relationship is you. Like, you could choose. Like, you could go to him. You could start that relationship today. And we would love nothing more than to spend the time with you to help you understand where that starts and answer any questions that you may have about that. And so wherever you are, there's a message to you. And it's to trust Jesus more today. To trust God. To trust his spirit more. And if there's a way we can assist you in doing that, we want to give you that opportunity uh, as we now stand and sing. Thank you.